Hello, my awesome self-improvement people. It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Today, I've got a refreshing, value-packed self-improvement sit-down for you. If you like the typical format of the podcast, which is a two-minute personal development exercise, mindset, observation, insight, or anything really, then come back tomorrow because the tips will keep on coming. But if you're ready to learn from a world-leading expert on what they care about most, then this self-improvement sit-down will be an absolute treat for you. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss anything that comes out. You'd be shocked to see how quickly you start picking up small wins in your life when you make personal development a priority. Let's dive into this heartwarming lesson. This is self-improvement sit-down number 44 with Natalie Kogan. And we are live. Today's guest is Natalie Kogan. With a successful career in tech, Natalie felt like something was missing in her life, and thus she began her pursuit of understanding and exploring happiness. She is the founder of Happier, the author of the book Happier Now, and she even developed the Happier app that allows people to connect with joy and the little blessings in life more often. She's also an impressive speaker who sheds light on topics like emotional health, and offers practical life practices to help people connect with happiness using a science-based approach to generate her unique happiness philosophies. If you thought I said happiness a lot, we're going to be saying it a lot more. But Natalie, thank you so much for coming on to chat with me today. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. And it stands out to me because your approach is a little unique when it comes to happiness. You know, there's a lot of talk about kind of high intensity emotions. It doesn't necessarily need to be that way. It can just be kind of more enduring, consistent, and frequent in the way that we approach happiness. And well, kind of actually, the... if I can jump in um, uh, just on that, I think it's actually important to share right off the top um, that research shows that our happiness over our lifetime or like life satisfaction has much less to do with peak experiences and peak emotions mm. and much more to do with a frequency of small positive moments throughout the day. So that's, that's a great way to like set the stage right off the top. Absolutely. And we're going to dive into that more. And I think it's, I think that's just a, a truth in general when it comes to life. Mm. It's, you know, we think of even behavior change, which is something I talk a lot about. It's not necessarily going and running a marathon as a workout. It's working mm -hmm. out for 20 minutes every single day. Like that is the difference. So there is this element of consistency that's important and happiness is no different is kind of what mm. you're describing, which of course, um, is the truth because that's kind of a universal yeah. law in itself. Yeah. Um, so let's elaborate on that, you know, because in your book, happier now you've distilled this kind of this really practical, small scale implementation mm -hmm. of happiness into what you call five happiness anchors. So if you could start by telling us about those specific anchors and how they, um, kind of produce happiness on a more consistent level in our lives. Yeah, totally. And just to kind of set the frame a little bit. So, um, kind of my fundamental mindset shift that I made in my life about happiness that, which I made around the time I was 40. So I lived a very long time the other way um, that really allowed me for the first time in my life to actually experience well-being and not just chase it. And this is where the frame for everything I do and everything I teach is that happiness is a skill you can learn and practice. And that to me is the most important mindset shift to make. So it's not something you feel sometimes or you don't. It's not some lucky people are always happy and I'm always unlucky or my genetics determine. So your natural happiness, we all have a baseline, but genetics determine only 50% of it. 
So to me, that's really exciting because the other 50% we can practice. And so I really, and that's what I want to just say from the top is look at happiness as a skill. And when you look at it as a skill, it puts it just like what you were talking about behavior change, like with any skill, let's say you want to learn to play an instrument or to become a better podcast interviewer or to get better at singing or painting. What do you do? You start to practice. You don't mm -hmm. expect yourself to be Picasso tomorrow, right? You start <laughs> to practice. And so to me that, um, well, that changed my life fundamentally. And I've now taught what we call the happier method, which are these five underlying anchors, happier skills to, I don't know, probably more than a million people. That's the mindset shift to make. So um, mostly first through my own experience and then just doing a ton of different kind of research and neuroscience, behavior science, um, psychology, I identify these five underlying happier skills or these anchors that I'm asking everyone to practice daily. So to just run through them, um, I'll do my best to do it in as short as possible. This is like an hour <laughs> talk in five minutes. Um, but the first is acceptance. And acceptance is something I, I misunderstood for most of my life. I thought acceptance meant like, oh, whatever happens, happens, let life go. And like, I'm a refugee to this country. I'm an entrepreneur, an immigrant, like I'm a fighter. So I hated that idea. You know, no, 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 I'm gonna fix everything. I'm gonna make everything better all the time. Well, that's just because I was ignorant. Acceptance is not about re resignation. Acceptance, the way I define it, is a skill of looking at how things are and how you feel from a place of clarity, like what are the facts versus getting caught up in the story that your brain is telling you. You know, our brain mm. makes up a whole lot of stories because our brain, I often say this, your brain does not care how happy you are. It really doesn't. The brain's the only focus that it has as to how to keep you safe from danger. And uh, staying alive is awesome. I'm all for staying alive, but we don't <laughs> face that much physical danger other than, you know, we're in a pandemic. But other than that, we don't face a lot of physical danger, but the brain still has these tendencies where it um, is always looking for it. And because of that, it has created some things that really deplete our well-being, right? It has a negativity bias. It only focuses on what's wrong much more than what's good. It hates uncertainty, so it makes up dramatic stories. And the skill of acceptance is just to say, okay, what are the facts I know to be true about this challenge, about the situation, about how I feel versus what are the stories my brain is creating and then using that as a starting point to decide what to do next. Um, acceptance, I call it the gateway skill to the other five because mm. unless you can see things clearly, including how you feel, it is really misguided to kind of figure out what to do next. So that's the first skill, which is acceptance. Um, the second is gratitude. And I think we all know what gratitude is. You know, I've I've probably given this, probably not an exaggeration, a um, hundred or maybe more talks about gratitude. And I mean like 10,000 people or 50 people in a company. And whenever I say gratitude, people go, oh yeah, like I can see it on their face. Like, oh, I know what that is. Well, here's my thing about gratitude. It's like broccoli. So most of us know broccoli is good for us, right? Nutrients, vitamins, like one of the healthiest vegetables. Well, here's a newsflash. Knowing that broccoli is good for you does not give you the benefits of broccoli. You have to eat the broccoli. The same thing with gratitude. I find it's like so many people know what gratitude is. And it's like knowing that gratitude is good for you doesn't give you the benefits of gratitude. So think of gratitude like everything else as a skill. And it's really a skill of zooming in on what is good or okay or positive in your life, even when times are challenging. And um, again, remember, I mentioned that your brain has a natural negativity bias. So left to its own devices, your brain is only going to focus on what's wrong because it thinks that means danger. So practicing gratitude is saying like, yo, brain, please don't forget all these really good things in my life. And that actually gives you the strength to go through challenges like the one we're in now. So that's the second one. The third is um, the skill of self-care. Um, 
also, you know, people tell me the way I define these are different from what we think of them. You know, when you say, when I hear self-care, when I used to hear it, it meant like spas, massages, like a day off. Those are wonderful things, but I mean something very different. So I define self-care as a skill of optimizing and fueling your emotional, mental, and physical energy. Mm. Um, a car needs gas or electricity, battery, right? Electric cars it, to run. You as a human being need energy. That's your fuel. And so self-care is not a luxury. There's a lot of guilt around self-care. It's not a luxury. It is your responsibility so that you can function and you can bring your best to the work and the people you care about. So that's a third. Fourth is what I call the skill of intentional kindness. Um, another one where I, when I say it, people are like, oh yeah, yeah, random act of kindness. I'm a kind person. Well, I say this with love, but I don't really care if you're a kind person. What I really care about is, are you practicing kindness mm. intentionally every day, right? So anytime you do something kind, the brain releases oxytocin and serotonin. Those are neurotransmitters. They make you feel good. The brain really wants us to be kind because a core human need is to feel connected to other people, right? We are not meant to be going through life alone. And one of the ways to encourage that feeling of connection is to help or support or elevate another person in some way, which is my definition of kindness. Um, the tricky part about practicing kindness is to do it without expectation of something coming back, of expecting anything in return. That's where most of us trip up. Um, but it is, you know, uh, these days people ask me like, oh, I, I just find myself really overwhelmed. There's all this stuff going on. The world is crazy. My to-do list is crazy. There's one thing I can immediately tell you is I call this practice, blast your stress with kindness. Think of as many small kind things that you can do right now. Check into it with a friend, send a silly GIF, you know, write a, a no card. That's the best way to reduce your stress because kindness shifts our attention from, oh my God, me, 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 to how can I be of service to someone else? Hmm. Which leads me to the fifth skill, which is what I call the bigger why. Um, and the bigger why is the skill of connecting the things you do every single day, the work stuff, the home stuff, the stuff you do for yourself to how does this contribute to someone other than you? Or how does it contribute to a longer term goal? Um, I call the bigger why the bridge of resilience. Um, there are challenges in all of our lives always, including like an overwhelming to do list or pandemic or all the other stuff. And our brain, if we don't give it something else to focus on, it's just gonna focus on this is hard, this is bad. Remember, danger, negativity bias. So when you practice connecting, okay, so I gotta get this presentation done. It, okay, this is like frustrating. When you connect that to, well, who does it help? Like when I get this presentation done, who does it help? You shift into a more, it's called a pro-social mindset. You start thinking of it in a way that transcends you and the present moment. And that actually gives you motivation and resilience to get through that challenge. So those are the five skills, acceptance, gratitude, self-care, intentional kindness, and the bigger why. And I think the fastest way that I've ever in the history of the universe described, I'm very proud of myself. Yeah, I'm proud of you too. Yeah. And obviously people should go out and, and check out the book to kind of elaborate on each one of those practices. I mean, I love so much about it, even as you kind of reflected on the bigger why, something that I really hold close to myself um, is social impact. And I've kind of started directing my career in that way. And mm. something that we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage people to embrace more social impact and to be more comfortable investing in some of those uncomfortable, more difficult things to do, whether it's, you know, composting and it's messy or, you know, like, like reaching out to a friend, like different things mm -hmm. that like require something from you in the moment, but ultimately it serves a larger good. 
And I think being able to draw that really clear comparison between the two allows you to overcome the activation energy to get started on that thing, you know? Totally. Well, research shows when we connect to our values or we connect to our bigger why, we actually have more motivation and more resilience to get through whatever the challenging thing is, more courage to Mm. do the uncomfortable thing. And that's why like one of the practices I teach about the bigger why is, you know, one of the things that again, I used to think about kind of incorrectly is I used to think that meaning and purpose are like somewhere out there and I have to go and find them and bring them here, but they're actually here in your day-to-day. They're in your to-do list. What it takes is practice. And so the practice that I teach folks is like, look at your to-do list, pick a couple to-dos and ask yourself, who does this help? Mm-hmm. And I, this is like the Natalie guarantee. You will feel more motivated to do it. It's not going to just like magically jump off and you still <laughs> got to put in the effort, but you will feel more motivated to do it. You will fe- face less resistance because when we connect to something greater than ourselves, we experience that sense of contribution or connection and it actually helps us to get stuff done. So yeah, totally. And that's, that's why I call these skills and I talk about practices is You know, like it's one thing to at the beginning of the year, maybe think about your values or what's important to you, but then it kind of gets lost. The day-to-day takes over, right? Mm -hmm. We are what we practice. And so if you just have this practice of, oh, I have this thing, I don't feel like doing it, or I have this thing that's like uncomfortable. In that is you're looking for your purpose. So practice your bigger why and you say, okay, so this thing I don't feel like doing, or it's uncomfortable, or it's like frustrating. Who does it help? Or how does it contribute to my learning or growing or a longer term goal. And again, it does make it easier to start. It does make it easier to do. Yeah, that's so key because then it, it provides a natural filter that like helps you guard your time even. It helps you guard your energy yeah. and your time. And once you kind of see through that filter, then you know that there's a bigger payoff. And, and just for those who are curious, when you talk about the to-do list, your exercise is called the to-do list makeover, which I think is that's just such right. a such a cool way of spinning it. I want to go back and talk about another one of the Mm. anchors, which is intentional kindness. And I think that's because this is something that we all know. It's kind of like you said, with gratitude, something that we know is important, but there's a layer at least that I perceive. And I think that um, others might as well of like inauthenticity, meaning if you're being intentional Mm. about doing something nice, like, is Mm. that really nice? You know, and there's kind of that dilemma that people experience on like the ethical side of it. So Mm. I'm a huge advocate for building systems where it's like, you can get intentional and that's still being genuine and authentic. But what have you found when it comes to intentional kindness and like that, that real, like, like the intention behind it, you know, and the strategy. Yeah. yeah. So here's a couple of things. I totally, um, totally get that question. I've heard a lot. So here's a couple of things. First, you know, I love research. It helps my brain. So here's a bit of research. Um, they've looked a lot at the brain, what happens in the brain when you practice something, doing something kind. And when you do something kind, but it's from a place of like, I'm going to do something. And then I hope Brian says, thank you. Or I hope he does something. When you do it that way, different centers in your brain light up. than when you say, I just want to do something kind, it's only the latter. It's only genuine kindness that Mm. we get the pleasure centers light up in the brain. So the brain is really smart. You can't fake it out. But here's a couple of things to say. So you said you're a believer in systems. I'm a really big believer in practicing everything intentionally. And you know, there's this concept in um, yoga that we have in our, and I've studied yoga for, I don't know, a decade or more now. And by the way, I used to be that person. I'm like, oh my God, yoga is so woo woo, like whatever, <laughs> and, you know? So I just want to yeah, be like, clear about that. And, you know, now it's something I practice for a, a quarter of my life. But so there's a concept in yoga that we develop um, 
they're called samskaras. Think of them as almost like uh, ski trails in our brain. So the more you do something, the more you feel something, the better your brain becomes at doing and feeling that thing. And so there's also, and connected to that concept is, I think we often think of intention as being like, oh, I feel like doing something kind. Let me do something kind. It works the other way. So you can say, uh, let me practice an act of kindness. Who can I help in some way right now? Who can I elevate in some way? And action will lead to the feeling of, oh, wow, that feels really good to be kind. And the more you do that, the more of those ski trails you are creating. And eventually you will be that person who's like, oh my God, let me do something kind. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to, um, I'm going to say this and I say this with love. I think when we use that argument of like, well, I don't want to like schedule kindness because that's an authentic, I think it's an excuse. I think mm -hmm. it's actually a shield. Um, I used to be that person again, you know, one of the things that's core for me and all my work is none of what I'm sharing with you or all of you came easily to me. I didn't learn about this in a lab. I learned about this by doing it the other way for most of my life and burning out and um, getting to a really dark place and then finding a way to get myself out. So I totally get that, but I think it's really important to kind of call yourself out on it, which is, yeah. you know, personal reflection of like, why, why am I hesitating about getting a little more discipline about practicing kindness? Like, what is it about that that is uncomfortable? Because I think that we all know that it's easier to do things when they're on your to-do list or on your calendar. Like we know that, you know, right. and I do encourage, I mean, I've done this in talks to, I don't know, huge companies like Google and on stage in Sydney last year, 10,000 people where I tell them, put kindness on your to-do list, schedule mm -hmm. it on your calendar. It doesn't make it any less valuable. It actually elevates it to the same importance as go to the meeting, do something kind, right? So that's another way I want people to think about it. Like if you're saying kindness doesn't belong on your to-do list, so is kindness less important than meetings? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> is kindness less important than social media? No. Is kindness less important than recording a podcast? No. So it should go on your to-do list. Um, sure. I think it's the reverse. It elevates the importance. Yeah. I have personal experience with that as well. Um, what I decided to do probably six months ago was start scheduling time with my family because, you know, I'm not seeing them as often and I'm remote. So I have, you know, talk with my grandma on my calendar and it's like, oh man, like you're just calling her because you're supposed to not because you want to. And it's like, no, I want to. And that's why it's in my schedule so that I can make sure I do, you know? And I feel like you articulated that really well. It's like, it's a convenient excuse for us to make that it's like, oh, like that just feels wrong. But the reality is, is like, you know, your intentions better when you're not in the moment, but you're like reflecting overall on what you want to mm -hmm. do ultimately. Mm -hmm. And then that's one of the tools you can use to bring that into the present to make sure it's actually expressed. Because if you want to really kind of groove those grooves, those samskaras, then you need to kind of intentionally practice it over and over again for it to be exactly. more default. Exactly. Right. It's like, you know, one of the examples I love to give is, um, so my daughter, Mia, um, has been playing piano for 11 years now, which is crazy. She's 16. Um, she's really, really good. Obviously she plays these very, very amazing, complicated pieces, but, and she practices every day or almost every day, you know, for Russian Jewish family. So you practice piano every day. That's just how we do it. My <laughs> mother is a piano teacher. Um, and Mia will tell you that when she, when it's like, okay, time to practice today, there are some days where she's like, oh my God, I don't want to do it. I do not want to go. But when she sits down and just starts doing it, she's like, oh yeah, this feels good. And so I think we have to also just recognize that 
we cannot rely on our brain to prioritize things for us that are really important to us because the brain is an efficiency machine. It's going to choose the path of least resistance because it's always wanting to preserve energy for that pack of wolves that's running at you, okay? Again, remember, your brain is not out there like, oh, Natalie should be kind today. Your brain is like, how do I protect Natalie from a pack of wolves? Yeah. So it's prioritizing its attention on that. So which is why I talk so much about the brain because I think understanding how the brain works illuminates why we need to put some of these things on our calendars and in practice. And the same thing, it's like, you know, the thing as you were talking about, I was thinking like um, this, like recording this podcast, it was on my calendar. Okay. That doesn't mean I don't want to do it. That just means I want to remember to do it. Right. So I think it's also just really important to separate desire from like making the time and our busy schedules and just facing reality head on. Like we're all really busy human beings. A lot of things are going on. And so if something is important to you, put it on the calendar, put it, make a practice around it, make it regular to make sure that your deep intention to do it has an opportunity to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And that totally relates to one of the other anchors, which is self-care, you know, making sure that because you need self-care the most when you don't feel like doing it, you know, so like that's even like more of a reason to have this kind of stuff in your schedule, because then you can like actually exercise on these things in a way that's going to be valuable to you. I think that's an awesome segue actually into kind of another topic, which is just a, a general um, kind of thought about happiness, especially like in the lens of self-care and like discipline, you know, kind of like mm. needing happiness when you don't have happiness or at least mm. practicing happiness when you don't feel happy because it is unnatural and, you know, we want to be proactive. And, and that's kind of where your definition of genuine happiness comes in, where it's mm. not just necessarily about like all of the good and like really pursuing the good, but it's accepting all emotions, right? Mm. So, so can yes. you tell us now, the value of like good and bad as it relates to happiness? Yeah. So that's the, um, there's kind of these three core mindset shifts or principles that are part of the kind of my evolution, my journey and the method that I teach. The first is that happiness and emotional fitness is a skill. It's something you practice. And the second is that it's not about being positive all the time. I think that's actually one of the biggest traps. I used to be in this trap. I think many people are in where it's like, I thought, if I don't feel good, I'm failing. I'm failing at happiness. I'm failing at my American dream. You know, I came to this country as, at 13 as a refugee, like, oh my God, American dream. I gotta be happy and look what we sacrificed. The reality is that as a human being, you are not meant to feel good all the time. Like, I hope this sounds like a relief. It did to me. Like, we are not meant to feel positive all the time. There's no such thing as turn that frown upside down. Sometimes you have a frown. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you're in a bad mood. Most of the time, you know, people ask me like, I don't know why I feel sad right now. Nothing happened. Emotions are quite unpredictable. Um, the greatest scientists in the world don't know exactly why we feel what we feel. There's chemical stuff going on in the brain. And so the practice is more about learning how to embrace all of the different emotions that we feel and to do that with compassion because it, it, it creates a lot of resistance and unhappiness to fight with your own feeling, right? Um, something that I talk a lot about because I used to do this is how many times do you have a feeling and then your brain has like a judgment about it? You know, you're like, like yesterday I had this, you know, it happens to me. People say like, does it happen to you? Yes. I teach this for a living, but I'm a human being yesterday. I just was like exhausted, like molasses the whole day. And my brain was like, why are you tired? It was just the weekend. You got some sleep. Why are you tired? Are you being lazy? Blah, 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 blah. Right. So <laughs> not, not, it's not good enough that it's not like enough of an issue that I'm like, wow, I'm tired. My brain is there like judging. Like, no, no, no. You should not feel that way. 
there's no should when it comes to feelings. You feel what you feel, right? So when you practice acceptance, you say, okay, well, this is how I feel. What is the next best thing I can do given how I feel? And, you know, research shows, especially when it comes to difficult feelings, um, and you'll never hear me talk about good feelings or bad feelings or positive or negative. Some are more difficult. Sadness, regret, stress, worry, fear. Those are more difficult feelings than fun or excitement. But research shows when you feel a difficult feeling, like sadness, for example, and you allow yourself to feel it, and by that I mean you acknowledge it, so you name it, you say, I feel sad, or I feel worried, or I feel stressed, and you allow yourself an opportunity to feel it, you'll actually experience it for a shorter amount of time, and you feel it with less intensity, because you are not wasting all of that energy shooting yourself out of that feeling. You're not wasting energy fighting with it. So you actually get to like, okay, this is what I feel. And then when you give yourself that time, you actually naturally, we come up with things to do. Like, oh, maybe I should chat with a friend. She'll cheer me up or watch a Netflix show or go for a walk or whatever it is. But we can only do that from a place of acceptance. We cannot do that from a place of, goddamn Natalie, you should not be stressed today. <laughs> How does that help, right? Right. That's a huge takeaway. Just the idea of like, it's not about labeling good and bad. It's just labeling as it is and like how that's energy saving in itself. And if your brain is designed to save energy, then that's probably the best way to go about moving mm -hmm. forward. So that's, that's a huge takeaway. And I love how you bring up acceptance, you know, one of the anchors back into this, but what's interesting is since it's a practice, it isn't a natural state. And what we usually do when it comes to these negative emotions and kind of what kind of we tend to do, or at least are predispositioned to do because of the discomfort in negative emotions is we either medicate or we uh, distract ourselves. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. so, so like, could you tell me a little bit more about like the danger of that, I guess, and like how that ends up like compounding in the wrong direction? Well, sure. And my shortest way to say that is a great, one of my favorite quotes from Carl Jung, you know, the famous psychologist and psychotherapist who said that which you resist persists. So just because you distract yourself from sadness or stress or worry with too much red wine or Netflix or chocolate or online shopping or whatever it is we all do, you've just learned about four of mine coping mechanisms, <laughs> um, uh, doesn't make the feeling go away and it persists. You know, I, I talk about your brain as a small child, right? And, you know, uh, even if you're listening and you're not a parent, you have seen little kids throw tantrums, right? Like, when a little kid is unhappy, we don't go, you should not be unhappy. You know what that's going to cause, okay? Like, that's just going to cause a lot more unhappiness, right? Or if we just completely ignore the kid, it doesn't go anywhere. But acknowledging, validating, by the way, validating a feeling does not mean I agree with how you feel. It just means I understand how you feel. It makes the kid calm down. It just does. And so your brain is the same way. So when, you, when your brain experiences a feeling, and you're ignoring it, or you're trying to like put it over here to the side, like, let me just drink a little bit more, let me run a little bit more, the brain's just getting more agitated. The little child, you have not acknowledged it. So it's just like, no, no, more, more, more. Let me get more, more uh, extreme with the feeling. But if you acknowledge it, you're like, okay, I hear you, you're sad, I understand. The little kid's like, oh, okay. She understands mm -hmm. me. So it's really, really um, important. The other, just uh, just on the science a little bit. So when you feel a feeling, it's coming from the amygdala, which is the back part of your brain, sometimes called the reptile brain. It's the oldest part of the brain. It's responsible for emotional response. And it's really, it can get really strong. When you name your feelings, so when you say, oh, I feel sad or I feel tired, 
you're moving the activity in your brain to the frontal cortex, the more intelligent, analytical, executive function. I call it the grandparent part of the brain. And so you're literally taking the intensity out of that feeling by acknowledging it. Like it literally works that way. Another, just a little, um, I'm not a, a fan of hacks. I like practices more, but this is just a really helpful, like little practice, little hack. Like if you're feeling really overwhelmed with a difficult feeling and that sucks, right? It's, it's difficult. You don't want to feel it. And naming it is not helping you. Um, try to do a mental activity that's a little bit hard. Crossword, um, solving a math problem. It just has to be a little bit challenging. You will feel the emotion a little bit lower intensity because it's taking the energy in your brain to the thinking center. Again, you're not trying to deny it. You just want to give yourself a little bit of air, like a little bit of like, Ooh, I'm less overwhelmed. Now I can acknowledge it. Yeah. I mean, that... That makes so much sense. Um, I'm, I, I'm even thinking I have a three-year-old nephew of like when he's crying and he's like, I feel sad. It's like, that's actually therapeutic because he is naming the emotion and it's helping yes. him overcome it. And I love that that visual of shifting something from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex, because mm -hmm. that literally means that you're creating consciousness around the emotion. And then when you have consciousness, you have awareness, then you can set the intention of what you want to do with that awareness, you know? So right. it like, it brings it full circle. That was a breakthrough for me in terms of like understanding exactly how all of this works because our brains are so complicated. And like, once we mm -hmm. put it a little bit more plainly like that, it's way more digestible. So yeah. And it, to put it even like a finer point on it, again, I think I mentioned a bit, I look at the amygdala as the little kid and the frontal cortex as the grandparent. Yep. And think of a grandparent, you know, in your life, your own or somebody else's like, the grandparents are calmer, they're kind, they're warm, but they're like, oh, I understand, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, you as a little kid, you're like, okay, that is not the end of the world. And then there's like, okay, what's next? Cookies, milk, nap, whatever. <laughs> right, yeah, and then you get back on track. No, I totally feel that. Cool, to wrap this up um, and just kind of talk about dealing with difficult emotions, not negative emotions, because that's not a thing, but more difficult emotions, um, you know, sadness, failure, rejection, overwhelm, et cetera, you know, you define it, or I guess you, I, you summarize it as you need to learn how to be okay when things are not okay. Mm. So if you could kind of maybe summarize or wrap it all up using that yeah. kind of lens, that'd be helpful. Yeah. And I, I think it's really, and I think it's very timely with the world we're living in. Um, you know, a lot of things in our world are not okay right now just not. We should not be in a pandemic. People are losing jobs. People are dying. We all know someone who's sick. There's a lot of things that are not okay. Um, and, you know, like there's a lot of challenges right now, but life is always full of challenges. I, I always like say challenge is a feature of life. It's not a bug. Like there are always challenges, always, no matter what. And we don't have control over them. We don't, we can't protect. But what we have control over is our internal response to them. And so kind of the, the core the core kind of premise of my next book is challenge is constant, but struggle is optional. And I got to tell you, a lot of people hate when I say that, like they turn off my video and I, cause it's like feeling a sense of ownership and responsibility and knowing that you actually, even when everything is awful, that you have a choice that you can make to struggle a little bit less through it can seem like, no, no, I'd rather blame the world. I'd rather blame my partner. I'd rather blame my boss. I'd rather blame the pandemic. But that is actually the core is to recognize that at any moment in your life, even when everything is terrible or some things are terrible, you have a choice. And then practicing all these different things we've talked about and more to shift to say, okay, well, 
am I looking at this with clarity? Like, what are the facts that I know to be true versus what are these stories my brain has told me? That is the absolute like essential skill for all of us to practice because that allows us to reduce our own struggle. You can, we often cannot fix all the problems in our lives. We can't, I, I, we can't do anything about the pandemic, right? We, but within it, we have a choice. We can either get stuck in, this is not how it should be. And this is awful and all that stuff. Or we can say, this is how it is. This is what's true. What is the next best thing that I can do to struggle less, to go through this with more energy, to be more positive influence on others in my life? And I thought that anything meaningful in life has to involve struggle. It's not quite right. Anything meaningful in life involves challenges, but mm. you can learn to struggle less by working with your brain, by learning how to separate facts from stories and then practicing these five different skills. You actually can reduce your struggle. And I think it's a really important thing for all of us to remember. But like I said, this is a, um, it can be a, a lot of people tell me they feel liberated when they recognize this. A lot of people don't want to hear it. A lot of people, and for most of my life, I didn't want to hear it. I wanted to blame the world. I wanted to blame my background. I wanted to blame my genes. I wanted to, you know, nothing ever goes right for me. Like we've all had that frame. So it is a choice to exercise agency, right? Agency, which is control over your own life. Um, but the, the awesome thing that I can share from my experience, and I don't know, having taught this to hundreds of thousands of people, is small shifts in mindset, in how you think, and separating the stories from the facts, and also in just treating yourself with compassion, which means with support and care. They have huge, 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 they create huge shifts, not just in how you feel and in your energy level, but in your ability to make the right decision, and in your ability to be a positive you know, uh, person for other people, right? A positive source of meaning and help and support, which I think ultimately is what we're all after. Yeah, I'm just taking a moment to pause because it's just so refreshing. Um, and, and I mean, that point, you know, it's having the knowledge is one thing, but then doing it is another and being ready to do it also is another, but then doing mm. it consistently. And that's kind of what makes the difference. So Natalie, you clearly um, have a ton to offer. I love the scientific approach. Um, it's very logical in the way that you're presenting this and sharing it with so many people. So I know that you call people on your well-being Wednesdays and everywhere, awesome humans. And I just want to acknowledge yeah. you as an awesome human as well. So thank you well, so thank much you. for everything that you're offering. From one awesome human to another. Thank you. That was the bright and shining Natalie Kogan. And in case you were wondering, yes, she was wearing bright pink when we spoke. Shocking, right? Natalie shared a few important concepts with us. First, Happiness is a practice. It's something that you intentionally bring into your life, especially when you don't feel like it. She talked about the five daily anchors of happiness, acceptance, gratitude, self-care, intentional kindness, and the bigger why, and how to practically incorporate those elements in your day. She also talked about how happiness isn't about always being positive, and that one of the most important things you can do is to accept and validate more difficult emotions because they'll continue to affect you if you do not address it appropriately. There are a number of ways to learn more from Natalie. You can check out her book, Happier Now, her website, happier.com, and my personal favorite is join her free weekly webinar called The Awesome Human Hour, previously known as Wellbeing Wednesdays. Links to check out or register for all of those are in the description of this episode. To focus on one of Natalie's happiness anchors, I'm grateful for you. I'm proud of you for showing up to find ways to grow and improve yourself as a human being. 
and I cannot wait to see what's in store for you. Be sure to reach out on Instagram at self.improvement.daily because I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.